on today's show. A reunion between the boy from Liverpool and the boy from Long Island. I've never disguised my love for Paul McCartney. What a genius. What a man. You talking about yourself? <laughs> and then I met John. Wow. And I would say to people, oh, yeah, I've written a couple of songs. And people would go, oh, wow. But he said, so have I. Ah. All right. As we welcome singer, songwriter, producer, composer, and Beatles. McCartney. Only on the Howard Stern Show. Ow. Ow. Hey now, everybody. Hey now, Robin. Hey now. Hey now. Good morning, hey everyone. Now. Ah, yeah. Crank it up. I'm, uh, my ears are bleeding. I got that music so loud. <laughs> Hey, now. Hey, good morning. Uh, we've got a very special morning. Paul McCartney, later on in the show, wrote a really cool book, and I'll be talking to him about it. The book is called The Lyrics. It prints out the lyrics to many of his songs and the memories of writing them, and that's right up my alley. I love it. And uh, so we'll be talking about that. I just was looking at the news, and uh, Brian Williams who used to be the anchorman at NBC News. He had a move. He got punished and moved over to MSNBC because he lied. He said he was in a helicopter in Vietnam or something. Or, you know, no, who cares what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was Vietnam. I think it was in Jersey. <laughs> you know? Yeah, maybe he lied about being flying over Jersey and getting shot at. <laughs> I thought it was, you know, now I don't even remember the controversy, but wasn't he covering a story in Vietnam? He was and he covering said that, a war. I think it was Afghanistan or something oh, was like it? that. Afghanistan. And yeah. uh, he claimed he took fire, yeah. Anyway, uh, so after that, he went over to MSNBC. He got demoted to cable, which, by the way, I never watched the network news on NBC. But I always watch MSNBC, so I got to know his work on MSNBC, and I was like, oh, no wonder they paid this guy $7 million a year. He's good. I mean, his show on MSNBC was really good, and uh, he just has a gravitas. He has a way of delivering the information and yeah, questioning he people. <laughs> he yeah, and it really believably. <laughs> right. But he didn't lie like Aaron Rodgers. Like Aaron Rodgers endangered other people. He just, he's a newsman and you lose credibility when you lie. He so embellished all, the story. Yeah. 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 I still don't know why the guy did that. But anyway, I love him. I, I think he's terrific uh, on MSNBC. But uh, he announced all of a sudden he's retiring and I didn't think much about it. But then this morning, Jason said to me, do you think he's retiring because like he's just tired of doing the news or do you think it's the money? I went, oh, OK, now you got me. What, what What's going on? Do well, you think? which is it? Which is it? Well, his theory was that uh, I guess he read this somewhere that Brian Williams contract was with NBC News when he was still the head anchor man on NBC, yeah. you know, the top uh -huh. banana. So they paid him seven million bucks a year to be the top dude. Then when he lied and got sent to MSNBC, they had to pay him the same $7 million. And now that contract's up. And all of a sudden he said, hey, where's my $7 mil? In fact, maybe give me a little bump. Right. And they, and they were like, hey, we just had to pay Rachel Maddow a shitload of dough. And 
and uh, we're not going to pay you the same amount of money we were paying you on the old contract because you're not on, you know, that was for being on NBC, the big network. Yeah, that was the flagship. Uh, that was the flagship money. We're, we're, we're demoting the money. And then he probably just said, fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not taking a demotion. Well, then but, he might uh, wind up somewhere else. Who knows? How old think? the dude is he? How old is he, I don't know. Robin? You know everyone's age. She always checks. I could everybody. guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a game. Later, I'll play a game with you, but not now. <laughs> I got a game for you today if we get to it before oh, yeah? Paul. Yeah, uh, it's um, the. Um, um, I'm going to. Uh, uh, okay, it's about porn, actually. You might be good at this. This is, uh, you know, Me? they do a lot of. Yeah, they do a lot of topical porn. Nowadays, oh, okay. like uh, I might say to you, gee, do you think there's a Brian Williams uh, retiring porn? And you'll say <laughs> that doesn't sound right. I, no way. Oh, Brian Williams is 62 years old. And I got to tell you, that's a little for a guy with that kind of accomplished career. My advice would be and my guess would be that uh, he should retire from work because your brain goes to mush. And um you know, my dad retired at 57 or something crazy. He had to. He was into forced retirement. It's a whole long story, boring story. I'm not going to bore you with it. But, uh, you know, now he's like, you know, he had a couple of good years. But so yeah, Brian a lot of Williams, don't do well in retirement. No, you got to stay sharp. You got to stay sharp. It's weird. You know, I was even thinking about Paul McCartney. I've spent so much time reading his book and the lyrics, and uh, I listened to his music. I even went back and listened to all the songs that are in his book just to kind of wash myself in Paul McCartney. And uh, I was like, you know, Paul's certainly up there in age, you know. We're all on the back nine, as Billy Joel says. And I wonder how his health is. You know, he seems so robust. I saw some pictures of Paul. On a vacation, he was in his bathing suit with his hot wife, and they were in the water, and they're swimming, and Paul's running around like a young man. But you never know behind closed doors. Is Paul okay? How's his health? Everyone who gets up into a certain age has some fucking shit going on, as we know. You wonder what Pill sent in a video when he was inducting somebody recently into the Hall of Fame. I was like, well, is Ringo okay? You know, could he not travel? What's going on? Well, I, you know, it's funny you say that. My thought was Ringo, he looks, Ringo looks amazing. Ringo's 80 years old, 80. Yeah. I mean, 80, you know, he's, he's, he's looking at the, he's looking at that uh, white light that's uh, right above the uh, door. He's you in know? that tunnel. And he can see <laughs> yeah, he's the in light. that tunnel. He's got a foot in that tunnel and that white light. <laughs> Come to the light. Uh, he's 80. He beat the odds. And the dude is sharp and spry. When he was in with Joe Walsh the last time, Ringo was bopping around like a young dude. I'm telling yeah. you. But, you know, I sit there and I go, I wonder what's really going on. Dude. How's his prostate? How's his eyes? How's his bowels? How's everything? You know, <laughs> I, want, I wish I could say to Paul, I don't want to say it to him, but I want to say, Paul, are you okay? What's going on? Should we be downloading your brain into an artificial intelligence robot? Because he's too important. That guy is so important. And I love talking to him. 
And he has. I know. You know what? what uh, the one thing that doesn't rub off is his attitude with you. <laughs> he has such an up. You know, he looks at everything. He sees the the silver lining in everything. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good man. I love yeah. that about him. Yeah, he's a good dude. Really is. He's just, you know, I even said to my wife this morning, I go, I don't know how Paul's so normal because the guy for, for, for real really deserves to get his ass licked. I mean, he's that fucking talented. When you go back and listen to those songs, you're like, Jesus, if there's ever somebody who should really be uh, smothered in accolades, it's Paul McCartney. And not only that, he's a decent dude, too. The way he loved Linda, the way he loves his now wife. Nancy, I mean, all of them. He loved them all. He did. He's a good guy. And and like most guys who live in rock and roll live in such a weird dimension because they're so insulated and so pampered and in their own universe that most of them can really get carried away. Let's just say that. And they're also really young when this stuff happens and you don't yep. have any boundaries or limits or understand the consequences and so they think they should taste everything and eat everything and smell everything so yeah. they might go through five or six hundred women and all that stuff but i don't i don't uh you know i don't know what's going on well, paul's health he seems he seems robust and young but you just never know what's going on behind closed doors and I always, I always get morbid. Like, how much more time do I have? How much time does Paul have? How much time does Ringo have? It's, uh, how much time does anybody have? But it's just, you know, that guy's such a treasure and, and he's such a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, I'm also kind of, um, I've said this to Paul in other interviews. I'm not going to bring it up again. But while the death of John Lennon is so horrible, it's something that makes me angry to this day. I feel it also led to, a weight being lifted off of Paul's shoulders and a liberation. And what I mean by that is that John, while a brilliant artist and just about one of the most amazing people that's ever walked the planet during my lifetime, he could be so vicious and mean to Paul. It, it was just a weird thing. When the Beatles broke up, for whatever reason, and John, as Paul has said, in his opinion, broke up the Beatles, John, in his music and even in his interviews, was brutal to Paul. He just couldn't let it be alone. He couldn't, like, if Paul put out an album, John had to put out an album criticizing Paul's album. And it was this, you know, imagine in your life, you're doing some great things, you're writing great music, the person you wrote great music with is a great guy, but for whatever reason didn't work out. And then, for the rest of your life, every time you make a move, you go out on tour with Wings, or you go out and write a book, or you put out an album, there's your older brother going, this is shit, this is bullshit, what's he doing this for, what's he doing that for, what's what, blah, 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 as you say. <laughs> and um, can you imagine, like, I would be like, oh my God, I'm about to put out a book, what the fuck is this guy going to say now? The guy I, I love and the guy I love writing music with, he's, he's like my nemesis now. He's my arch enemy. What did I do to this guy? I know. Guy? They were like supervillains to each other. Yeah. And Paul was uh, Superman and John was Batman. <laughs> well, you know what's weird, too? Paul put out a song called Dear Friends. I don't know if you know this song. Some people don't know it. But what's so interesting about the song is Dear Friends is basically Paul going, Hey, John, what the fuck did I do to you? What the fuck did I do to you? He writes about it in the book. 
uh, about the song Dear Friends. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it basically is just like, I can't figure this out. Why do you fucking, why are you so angry with me? What did I do to you? You know what, maybe I got to talk to Paul about this. I don't know. And And they never talked it out. Well, if you read the book, which I suggest you do, they did come to an understanding. Yeah. And it was weird. Like, even after all that shit, they ended up hanging a bit. And even in the book, I got to ask Paul about this. Paul says, our last conversation when I sat with John was about baking bread. And to me, that just broke my heart. Like, that's such a family thing, talking about baking bread, the smell of bread in a house. And, uh, you know, they were able to talk about something peaceful, simple, basic to life, eating bread. And, um, you know, there's a beauty in that, almost like an Ingmar Bergman movie. But I don't know that the real issues were addressed. They never mm. got to the why. Why all the anger? Why the hate? Why the viciousness? I am sure if John was alive and Paul put out this book, John would be somewhere going, well, that's Paul's uh, opinion of what Version, happened. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, he's that's his truth. And blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, God, you're inhibiting me. Um, but you only do that to people you love, you know, like the people you hate. You spend the most time know. thinking about, you spend right. the most time studying and worrying over and wondering what they're doing and thinking. It's kind of a love. It's kind of a devotion. Paul still wonders how um, John felt about the song Dear Friend. He never got a response from him. So, mm. yeah. So anyway, uh, wondering about that, too. He, he made sure no. to always leave him not knowing something so he could stay in Paul's mind. Yeah, maybe I do have to play Dear Friend. I wasn't going to discuss Dear Friend with Paul because, you know, you got to you got to make decisions what songs you're going to talk about with. Him. Right. But. uh Seems to be on your mind. And it is on my mind. It drives me crazy how critical John was of Paul. And for no good reason. I mean, when Paul uh, did Too Many People, which is still one of the greatest songs, he admits he was, you know, firing back at John, who was constantly firing missiles at him during that time. Mm. And finally just broke down and wrote Too Many People. Too Many People going underground. Too Many People. Uh, yeah, I'm so bad with lyrics, but... It which is there it is. Oh. 
quote that line all the time. I know you quoted it to certain people who worked on this show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are people who worked on this show. I go, you took your lucky break and you broke it in two. You get crazy. I know so many people in life. I was talking about Beth with this the other day when we were taking a walk. Cause she gets a, you get a three hours of radio show a day, Robin. I, Beth gets the uh, gets the rest of the, the 21 hours. Yeah, 21 hours in there. It's like, I did a whole speech on um, too many people. And uh, you took your lucky break. I got a friend. He took his lucky break and broke it in two. It drives me crazy. I begged this guy. I said, don't you realize how good you have it? His, this is what you need to do. People have no common sense. People have no fucking... I had a friend... He was on top of the world. He, everything was good, and he had to go and fuck it up. And I know people who worked on this show had to go fuck it up. Some people are not comfortable winning. They don't want to win. They want to be at the bottom of the fucking barrel. It's, it's pressure to be at the top. It's easier to be among the losers who fuck things up. They sabotage themselves. Don't take your lucky break and break it in two. Know when you have your lucky break. That's the problem. People don't identify. Yeah, they don't recognize it. No. I always say, I got a lucky break with this radio. I remember I was so tempted to walk away from radio when Rupert Murdoch was seducing me with the late night talk show thing. Uh, It was a pivotal point in my career. And I went, nope. You don't give up this radio. You don't take your lucky break and break it in two for some 13-week contract where these fuckers, look what they did to Chevy Chase. Yeah. Chevy they did Chase it over and, and over again. Joan Rivers, Chevy Chase. Yeah, <laughs> just, Joan Rivers. They grinded up a lot of people. Well, they brought me in secretly to sit there in the audience at the Joan Rivers show while they were plotting with me how to, uh, you know, what, what would we do, Howard, if we put you on instead of Joan? And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm going, Joan Rivers, one of the greatest fucking people on the planet, stand-up comic. I'm sitting here in the audience, and these guys are saying to me, "How do we let let's unseat the queen and make you the king?" And I went, "Wow, this is fucked up. Radio's treacherous, but man, TV's even worse. <laughs> TV's even worse." And uh, then I started seeing uh, in my mind with that Chevy Chase show what they did to him. Coming up on TV, the greatest comedian, Saturday Night Live, movies, we're giving him his own talk show, the great Chevy, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase Theater. <clears throat> Chevy Chase Theater. And then, and then nine weeks later, Chevy's like, they're like, Chevy's a piece of shit. We're getting rid of him. You know, like, like, what? And, you know, media is so powerful. They could destroy a guy in nine weeks. Yeah, and you don't have the mouthpiece that they do. You know, there's no. no fighting back. Well, one of the things I figured when I would observe all this behavior, and believe me, it's like a chess game, I would say, whenever I got fired, I got to get out ahead of it. I got to get my fucking story out first, because that's the story that sticks. So, you know, everything's fucked up. But don't take your lucky break and break it in two. And that's, that's what Paul was saying to John. We got we beat the odds, man. We're so good together. Why do you gotta fuck it up? 
I mean, you know, look, those guys were talented enough to have brilliant solo careers, but you know, everything's better than the Beatles and that music. They changed the world. They changed music. They changed fashion. They changed everything. Well, Paul in the book writes that uh, John kept telling him they should go into business with this character, Alan Klein. And Paul was against it. And, and history has proven that Paul was right in terms of the business because, uh, you know, that's when their music got sold and all that other crap. And Paul got fed up. And that's, that's, when, he, that's when he wrote the line, you took your lucky break and broke it in two. You know, Paul was saying to John, you made this break. Good luck with it. You know, your lucky yeah. break was, you know, it, it, there's so many ways you can interpret it. But what a great song. That, and that that's the book, really. The book is like, hey, how do these great songs come about? What was it based on? What was going on in your life at the time that made you right? You took your lucky break and broke it in two. And so he goes through, I forget what the number of songs is, like maybe 154, 164 songs, literally writes out the lyrics and then says, here's what was going on. Here's what I was thinking. That's a hell of a book from yeah. perhaps the greatest songwriter of all of all time. Of all time. Paul McCartney. Well, you don't know of all time, uh, but of I our do. time. Uh, of all time, I do know. Who do you say? Okay. <laughs> who do you say is better? Who is? I don't I'll know sit- who lived then. <laughs> who else? I don't else? know what was going on. Who else in the history of mankind? <laughs> you know, maybe there was some dude back in the caveman days who was, you know, grunting out some kind of weird thing on a piccolo. And or they something. were like all tapping their feet and, yeah. and clicking their fingers. Right. But but uh, aside from that, from I have to say, <laughs> when you pull out every one of those fucking albums, Paul McCartney, uh, forget even just the Beatles albums, what John and Paul put together. Uh, it, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. It's not even possible. It's not even humanly possible to have that many songs from two guys. But I would wish that you had a whole history of music and songs to draw that conclusion from. I feel like blowing my mind. I do though. I do. I know. I I know. I'm right when I say this is the greatest living songwriter right now. That's it. And I don't think I'll tell you. I'll make you another prediction because I'm pretty good on predicting. Ever since I predicted that we'd be in quarantine for years and years not just you know a few weeks but uh this um i don't think you're ever in the history of music going forward now going into the future i don't think you'll ever see that accomplishment again not from not from two guys you might have a couple of great songs from this one and that one but that you will never see this again so when you hear this guy for an hour talking, pay attention. That's all I'm saying. Because you're never going to, we're lucky enough to be alive while this guy's alive. And someday someone's going to say to you, you were alive when this guy was alive. What, what was you that like? You heard him. You saw him. Yeah. You, yeah. You knew him. That's how important this guy is. In terms of music, there's nobody, there's nobody more important. And uh, there isn't. And Billy Joel will tell you that. And Elton John will tell you that. And David yeah, Bowie, for them, rest in, in peace. in this time. In any don't time. I know what was going on no, before. Robin, stop it. <laughs> As I'm telling you, in any time. You just time. know about your time. You know, no. like it's it's like your parents told you that no, you know, their era no. was the best. The Dizzy Gillespie and the... Uh, <laughs> <Dizzy. you know. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Rosemary Clooney was the greatest <laughs> of all time. They did. They said that was the best. Yeah. The Andrews sisters were the best. Now, this is the guy. This is the guy. And so, you know, when he writes a book, I pay attention. This is the closest thing you're going to get to Jesus Christ. Ugh. Now, why do I say that? Yes. I'll tell you why. <laughs> why do John you have Lennon, to say that? John Lennon once said, <laughs> you know, none of us have ever met Jesus. We only read about him in a book. But John Lennon once said, and he got crucified for it. He got really, he got in big trouble. He said, the Beatles are more important than Jesus Christ. Something along those lines. And people didn't understand what he was saying. But I did. Because I was never really moved by religion. And re and I spent a lot of time with religion. I should be a fucking rabbi the way I've spent time with religion. I had training like a ninja. But I never had a feeling from it like I did when I first put on Sgt. Pepper's. Or I heard Rubber Soul. Or I heard the music in Abbey Road. Or saw the movie Help. There was a feeling that it evoked. A religious, calming, elevating feeling that religion was supposed to bring to me. And that's what John was talking about. And John and Paul created a body of work that's like a religious experience. So again, this guy is a living embodiment of a, a higher power. He was blessed with a talent that is magical. You know, it's like uh, he was channeling something bigger than, than humanity. Well, That's in truth, stuff. Uh, Jesus was, he only had 12 followers. <laughs> That's right. You know how many John and Paul had? 50, <laughs> 50, 60 followers. <laughs> the world was following them. Absolutely. Everything they did. That's what John meant. He wasn't being disrespectful to people who are true believers in the, the words of Christ, he was just saying, we're big. We're moving people the way religion does, maybe more so. You know, reading those old dusty doctrines, we're moving that many people. And the world was going to shit and shine only. But man, when you, you thought it was bad then. Yeah. You know, there was a <laughs> lot of shit that went down in the name of religion. And, uh, you know, there was a more lot of peace and going love. down now in the name of religion. There you go. And, and, uh, you know, back then you saw all of a sudden flower power, breakthrough, peace and love. And there was some real powerful stuff in that music. Peace and, and love. Um, peace and love. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing. And here's the real amazing thing. And this should give hope to anybody who aspires to be a great singer and songwriter like Paul. This guy can't read or write music. That's even more amazing. He channels it from a place that is crazy. He doesn't know how to, the greatest songwriter of all time doesn't know how to read or write music. What does that tell you? I don't even know what it tells you. I'm just saying it. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. That's how profound it is. <laughs> but there's something to what I'm saying. I don't know what it is, but I know I'm saying something. Thank you. All right. Enough about Paul. What are because you saying? I'll talk to him later. 
But uh, I just felt inspired to say this. And I hope he hears a tape of it. Because I really do mean it. That's how I feel about the guy. He's an important dude. And we lived during his time. Which is even more incredible. We lived during the time of Steve Jobs. We lived during the time of Paul and John Lennon. And uh, now, uh, you know, we, it's these are the people. These are the people we got to pay attention to. They're moving the world. They're shaking it up. It's yeah, really, not Congress. Not Congress. Mm-hmm. Not. I mean, you know, things are so fucking weird. I still can't go over how much the world has changed in my time. I, I don't even believe these conspiracy theories, the lack of belief in science, not by everyone, but by a lot of people. It's crazy. But anyway, getting back to Brian Williams, I don't know how I got on this. But yeah, that was a roundabout way to get back to Brian Williams. We we went through the Beatles and history and everything. I'm taking you everywhere, Robin. You and I are going places. <laughs> we just went around the world. That's right. People love it. Um, yeah. Speaking of Brian Williams, so the question was posed to me. What do you think it is? Do you think the dude just had enough of the news business or do you think it's a contract negotiation? Once Jason said to me this whole thing about, hey, his contract was up with NBC, the the big network, and they want them to take a pay cut. I got to think that's what's going on because the guy's pretty vital. I see him on there. He's sharp as can be. He's terrific. He's at the top of his game. He's really good on MSNBC. In fact, I think by lying and being thrown to the wolves, MSNBC, the guy actually shined more. I think it actually improved his career i respected him more i didn't watch that network news that network news what are they doing they give you 16 minutes of news because they got so many fucking commercials and the dude is just sitting there basically being a puppet and reading off a teleprompter which is a skill don't get me wrong but what he does on MSNBC records you know that's a skill (laughs) right who do you respect more (laughs) the local talk radio guy you know the guy who gives you his opinions or the dude who reads the news on 1010 wins i mean you know come on and uh in my mind brian williams blossomed over at msnbc but uh you know they don't they look what the guy well they gotta base it on viewers don't they i mean i don't know what his ratings are here's the thing robin First of all, over at those Fakakta news stations, you know, MSNBC, Fox News, and uh, CNN, you'd be shocked what they get for a minute of commercial time. It ain't that great. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 every, everything is so splintered now. They're lucky sometimes at night they got seven people watching that shit. <laughs> I think I'm one of them. That's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and unfortunately, unfortunately for the performers on these channels like Fox, CNN, and MSNBC, it ain't the performer. It's the channel. See, they're at that mercy. In other words, what am I saying? You take Bill O'Reilly. He was the biggest guy on Fox News. You couldn't find bigger. He was the top guy on cable news. They, they didn't let you forget about every man. Bill O'Reilly, I know you don't believe us, but he really is the top guy in cable news. Like, I know this fucking asshole is a top guy. They, that was basically what they'd say. And you go, really? Okay. He gets his ass in the slam, and they get rid of him. They fire his ass. They can't afford to even keep track of all the fucking women who are coming out of the woodwork. And who do they put in? The, Tucker Carlson? Tucker Carlson was working on Bubba's show. That's, that's <laughs> how things were going. Bubba's living in a van 
And Tucker yeah, you're was listening his, to his opinion. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I remember Bubba. Bubba used to have Tucker on every day. Uh, hey, there's Bubba the Bubba deal. And we're gonna have a Tucker Carlson deal. And Tucker would come on and talk to Bubba. And you're like, hey, guy's pretty intelligent guy. Blah blah. blah. You know, but geez, I send myself. He's he's basically just doing Bubba's show. Well, the next thing you know, they plug him into the Fox News machine. They give him the talking points, and he's off to the races. And he's all in. Yeah, they talk about what he said now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, uh, you know, and Bill O'Reilly, they don't remember him. You got to, you know, look at uh, Megyn Kelly. She was on. Fo- she was great on Fox News. They, they, she, she got uh, crazy. Went over, took her lucky break, and broken in two. Went over to NBC. You know. And uh, it wasn't the right fit. She was perfect on Fox News. Megan did a great job over there, and uh, you know, so you got to know that uh, a lot of the, the a lot of the people, same with Brian Williams, they're going to find somebody else. They're going to stick on there, and they're going to do just as well as Brian Williams. And and you'll be forgotten if yeah. you don't pop up somewhere else. I don't know what they're offering Brian Williams, but if he wanted to put in three more years, so you know, look, you got to realize who you are. The reason people are talking about you and stuff is because you're on MSNBC. Uh, he might have to take a pay cut, but uh, I don't think he's going for it. Probably got enough. He, you know what? Probably made a lot of coin in this business. And I don't uh, know. Does he still have the friends he used to have over there? Is it still the same administration? Because that's how he survived the last go round. I don't know. I don't know the that's that's a sophisticated question. I don't know. I don't know. The <laughs> I'm not a reporter. I'm just over here spewing a bunch of shit. Uh, Brian Williams averages a little over a million viewers. Rachel Maddow leads the MSNBC pack and barely gets 2 million viewers. So, you know, there's a limited audience there. Now, this Rachel Maddow, she's terrific. She is terrific. And even she's now saying, now, she's their biggest star. And when she does a show, I watch her show all the time. It's fantastic. The woman reminds me of Paul Harvey, the way he used to weave those stories in and out. She's a strong broadcaster and a bright, bright woman. But again, she got to be on MSNBC. It's a perfect plug-in for her. Get these what, fucking is she talking about going and... somewhere else? No. No, no, no. They just gave her a big contract, and now she's she's hocking them. She wants to do a show once a week. What? What, what do what you mean? A she... different show? I don't know. No, no the same. But what, what, what does she think she is? Me? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get that deal? Once a week? That's putting thoughts in my head. Uh... I show up here three times a week, and that's under protest. And I do a couple of hours a day. Come on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Brian Williams, if I was him, I think I'd recognize Rick. Listen, he did the impossible. He came back from stolen valor. You know, he was like, hey, I was in this uh, situation, and I was brave. And meanwhile, there was no situation. So, you know, he got a lucky break. Don't break that in two. Don't break it in Well, it all depends on if he really wants to be there. What's he going to do? Sit home and pick his asshole? What's he got to do? He gets to put the suit on. He gets to sit there and read the news and talk to people. Well, there are plenty of people you can point to that have taken Mm. their lucky break, even in news, and broke it in two. Go ahead. You want to name a few? Go ahead. You want to keep it vague? Remember the name Paula Zahn? 
Wasn't she married to General Zahn from Superman? <laughs> oh, that was General Zod. That's right. You're talking about Paula Zod, I thought. That was his wife. <laughs> no, she uh, was a newswoman. Everybody was talking about her. She was the next big thing. And uh, she got into some kind of a contract dispute, and they weren't uh, going to pay her enough money, and so she left. And now on Sunday mornings, if you tune over to, I think it's A&E, or maybe it's even PBS, She's interviewing, you know, some guy who plays the cello. Hey, <laughs> that's not fair. That's horrible. So, you don't want to yeah. do that. I hear you. Jesus. Mm. Playing the cello. That's <laughs> fucked up. Hey, I got it. So I don't know if you saw The Bachelorette last night. I won't give you any spoilers. I didn't. I didn't look at the show yet. I see it in advance, so I couldn't wait to play this for you. It was on last night, The Bachelorette. This won't ruin anything. You know, I don't want to ruin the suspense. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this character, dude, this guy, Rick, his name's Rick. White dude. I mentioned that because The Bachelorette is a black woman, and she's very, every minute she's, she's like, She's mixed you know, race. Mixed race, but she goes, I grew up in my community I was the only black person, and nobody was. And I'm no. I didn't well, feel she seen. Said they decided I was a black person. I, she was like, me. they told me I was black, and then I had to answer all these questions about my hair. <laughs> yeah, and then she said, I didn't feel seen, and I didn't feel heard. Oh my god! Come on, I went walking baby. with Beth yesterday. Every minute she goes, I'd say to her, "Honey, I um, I made the bed." She goes, "Good. I feel seen, and I feel heard." <laughs> <laughs> she was throwing that in my face every minute. I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, it's all very heavy, but I only bring up the Bachelorette. This fucking guy, Rick, he's telling her. I don't remember her, which one Rick is yet. He's a funny looking little white dude with big bug eyes. Okay. Does that help you? No. <laughs> he, he, he stuck his head out of a table in order to get oh, her Oh, the guy who was in the table? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I When I saw that, I was like, this dude, he's, he's out of here first thing, but she seems to like his comedy. Dressed up like a table. Yeah, whenever they do that, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, out of there the first night, and they yeah. always keep those guys or women. Yeah, I mean, if, if I wanted to win your heart and I dressed up as a table, I think you'd get rid of me. I do. I yeah, really do. You know, or a girl comes in as a dragon, you know, or a whale or whatever the, <laughs> oh, yeah, the right. shark, <laughs> porpoise, <laughs> dolphin. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, this guy, there's a moment on the Bachelor. If you're going to win the, if you're going to win her heart. You got to open up to her. The whole show, she's hocking everybody. I got to have a man who opens himself up emotionally. I got to have it. And what that means is you got to tell this woman something fucked up that happened to you. Something that makes you cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to tell, oh, you opened up to me. I love you. You know, right away, they fall in love with you. More fucked up shit happened to you, the more they love you. Like, I'd be like, oh, my mother used to wash my underpants when I shit my underpants. And she'd wash them in the sink in front of anyone. Oh, my God, you just opened up to me. Would Thank you take you this road? Thank you for being so vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I really yeah, blah, saw blah. something in him tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, hi, my name is Howard, and um, I just want you to know that I feel like there's a spark between us. But I had trouble being vulnerable and open, so I want to tell you a few things. Oh, please do. Yes, um, many times... um. My mother would uh, embarrass me in front of my friends and 
tell them write me notes and say that my my room wasn't clean enough and then she'd hit me with a hanger <laughs> oh, oh thank you for opening up you're my you're one of my favorites now you can so this tell dude, me anything yeah 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 so it was rick's turn to open up this motherfucker you've never heard anything like it this motherfucker starts in with the vocal fry. I didn't. Hear, I never used to hear too many guys with my vocal fry. And what is vocal fry? It's this the talking like this. Uh, now psychiatrists will tell you women do this, and I suppose men too. They want to seem more intelligent. I read an article about it. When uh, you know they don't have voices like that. They have normal voices, but they start to talk like this. Uh, and I never heard of this thing until The Bachelorette, honestly. This vocal fry. It is so horrible. And everyone... That, now, this guy's got it so bad that at times, I don't even know what he's saying. <laughs> he, at one point, he was like, my father cheated on my mother. And she's like, oh, that's so, you know. I'm like, so what? what is he, what is he a fucking frog? And the store, this now you're gonna have to hang with this. The sadder the story gets, the worse the vocal fry gets. It's like, oh, it starts out like, yeah, and then it goes, you never heard it. Now here's the kicker to the story. I'm gonna set it up for you. By the time I get to the third clip, the Bachelorette gets caught up in his rhythm, and she starts him with, uh, she gets vocal fry too. She catches him. It's a big concert. By the end of this, it's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, oh, ah, uh, ah, uh, oh, ah. Uh. It's like a Beatles song. <laughs> it's like, oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. goes on. Life goes on. It's all one long. I'm going to play it for you now. Here we go. This is Rick, the Bachelor contestant, talking to the Bachelorette. He was a. I think the toughest thing I had was last 10 years of his life. He was pretty depressed and just, like, not happy. And I think, like, the biggest challenge of my life has been, like, when you see the people you love or the people you care about, like, deeply, <laughs> and you can't help them. So that was, that was like, probably one of my toughest challenges in life. Except in that. It's been very hard for me to talk about certain things in my past. Give it for good luck. But I feel so comfortable with just I turned to my wife during this. I said, am I, am I losing my hearing? You know, I'm getting older. She goes, no, I don't know one fucking thing he's saying. All I hear is... <laughs> I was going to say, did you turn up the volume? Because now you've got to jack it up so you can even try to hear a word or two. I've got a place. Like she should have said there's something wrong with you. Do you need to excuse yourself? Did you did you swallow a bunch of gravel earlier? But you'll see no, by the you end. Swallow a frog. <laughs> yeah. Because he's doing all the talking now. Well, I'm telling you, this vocal fry is more contagious than COVID nineteen because uh <laughs> that she catches it at the end. You can see. All right, so here, let's continue on, right? He's still talking about his, his yeah, story of war. I'm not catching very much of it now. Yeah, here you go. So basically what happens, like two weeks before Christmas, my parents went out for shopping. Uh, my dad left his phone on the desk, and he got a text message, and me just being, I think, 17 and curious, opened up his phone. 
And I saw a text uh, that was basically from a woman and made me think. <laughs> and so after about a day, I decided to tell my mom about it. Three days after Christmas, my mom wakes me up at like 6 a.m. and um, tells me that my brother's at my grandparents and tells me that we have to move out. And I'm like, I'm like, she's going to dump his ass. This fucking guy is so fucking boring. Even yeah, you can't story listen to that what, the rest of your life, can you? Uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I had a tough day at work, honey. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Well, my boy, la, 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 Imagine the rest of your life you're locked in a house with this fucking guy. I'd rather live alone. Hold on a second. I, I have to hop on my other lily pad. This one's sinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, and this guy, and what's his tale of woe? His parents broke up. Dude, half the marriages in the, in, in, in the world end up in divorce. Dude. Who fucking cares? Isn't you, he Froggy? saying Dude. he's the reason because he told his mom about the text? Uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good for you. Good for you. You know what? Maybe you should be with this guy. Keep going. Unfortunately, you had you on my mom. And they split. Honestly, I and, and, and my mom and I moved out to a new lily pad. We were, we were <laughs> myself at first. My dad. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And now I'm remembering this fucking guy. He went through his dad's phone and ratted. He's a rat. He ratted out. He ratted out his old man to. <laughs> mom, what is it? I just went through dad's phone. Yes. And he's fucking another woman. That's impossible. Who would fuck your father beside me? <laughs> That's breaking the bro code big time. The old man's like, what kind of son are you? What about the bro code, motherfucker? We're both dudes. What do you think? Look at what you're doing. Now, yeah, Do. look at what you've done. Do. <laughs> what are you, a woman? <laughs> My father would be like, what are you, crazy? I thought you were a man. You have no penis? What's wrong with you? You told your mother about my affairs? I didn't know, Dad. I didn't know such thing as a bro code. <laughs> you idiot. I told you not to be stupid, you You know how parents always sit the kid down, like, you know, in a divorce, and they go, look, kids, it's not your fault. This time it was like, this it's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> so, Mom, yes. I smelled dad's fingers. I smelled pussy on his fingers. Was it my pussy? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> you smell my fingers? And you smell my side poon? <laughs> you ruined my side poon. <laughs> he yeah, so he's like telling her now. She's sitting there like listening to this thing. The story is basically, you know, yeah, he he fucking ratted out the old man. Here, listen. It's been something that I, like, I struggled with for a long time, but I realized, like, uh, you know, I can't really take responsibility for my choices. Last 10 years of his life, like, uh, he was very depressed. Oh, uh, what an annoying he'd guy. He called me in a work day on a Thursday. I called him after I got off work. Um, he didn't answer, but he texted me right back saying, hey, you know, I'm just trying to catch my breath. A friend checked in on him and found him just like on the ground. Um, he was gone. Yeah. 